The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns. Stress, changes, grief, moments of growth and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. It's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns, and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. And for spirituality and health podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash spirituality health. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Our guest today, Dr. Rachel Allen, is a licensed psychologist, sex therapist, certified yoga instructor, retreat leader, and public speaker. During her 15 years working with individuals and couples, Rachel has focused on sexuality, intimacy, and relationship problems, as well as trauma, depression, and anxiety, and life transitions. Her new book is The Pleasure is All Yours, Reclaim Your Body's Bliss and Reignite Your Passion for Life. Dr. Rachel Allen, welcome to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Hi, Rami. Thank you so much for having me. At the risk of repeating what I said to you off air, the pleasure is all ours. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. (laughs) And you're sweet to laugh both times. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) The book is really fascinating. I I could spend our half hour together just talking about why pleasure is a problem for so many people. But I want to go a little bit deeper than that into the book itself. So let's start out with two questions that you pose early on in the book. And you write, in a world full of challenging problems, why is pleasure so important? Why are we even talking about it? And then you answer your own question and you say, because pleasure is our birthright. It keeps us resilient and fosters empathy. And we need to reclaim it now more than ever to stay connected to ourselves and to one another. I want to talk about, or have you talk about, the notion that we need to reclaim it now more than ever. I'm interested in the more than ever part. What Mm -hmm. is going on in, I don't know, I don't want to say human civilization because that's way too broad, but at least in in maybe in Western culture or a certain aspect of American culture, what's going on that has problematized pleasure? Yes, 
Great question. And a lot of my focus is really looking at the United States and its conflicted relationship to pleasure. And the real problem is there are these extremes. And so I'm, I'm trying to bring, I think, this middle path to it. There's the, on one end, that it's really a word and a concept that's been reduced just to sex and to not only sex, but to something that is sinful and dirty or in the very least lavish and extravagant. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are ways in which pleasure really is abused because people are looking to numb and escape and avoid. And then they cause themselves more pain and suffering. And so I really wanted us to understand from a body up approach how we can have this relationship of really coping and riding the wave of our pain and our discomfort so that we turn to pleasures of all kinds, not just erotic, as a way to enhance our life rather than a way to numb and avoid it. Because that's really where the healing comes with our pleasure practices. And it's where the connection and bonding with others can come from. I'm taken with a phrase that Sigmund Freud used, polymorphous perversity, which despite the word self, <laughs> perverse, I think if I understand it right, he's talking about the fact that our entire body is made for pleasure. And like you said, not just the erogenous sounds. It's not just about sex. Mm -hmm. When you look at little babies, they're in this state of polymorphous perversity. They're, everything is, I don't know, ecstatic experience for them. Mm -hmm. sucking on their feet or whatever it happens yeah. to be. You know, Sense of awe and wonder. And yeah, just which is all wrapped up, I think, in, in this notion of pleasure. But in our society, there's this pleasure, like you said, is, is somehow associated with being sinful, dirty, perverse in the other sense of the word, not Freud's use of it. And so we don't go for pleasure, we go for porn. And is there a way to come back from this? I talk about, I believe there is, and I talk about it through what I call bodyfulness, really, which is about, it, it's really honoring a lot of different lineages and wisdom traditions, but it's building on mindfulness. So really about embodied mindfulness. And then what do we do with what we notice in our body? And then how we can build from that to really embrace life's healthy pleasures. So when we are connected to our bodies, as opposed to overriding the body's natural needs and desires, even just overriding our need and desire for rest and, and a nap in our really hustle culture. When we're really tapped in and listening and we know how to move forward from there, we are able to, within us, have this resource to ride the wave of some of these impulses and desires that we might have to avoid suffering. And then again, we can actually be within our present moment and tap into that moment in a way that then isn't about escaping, but is really about being able to awaken more, to really expand, have a more expansive sense of awareness and presence. And that's really where a lot of it begins, really in the body and in, in kind of our sensual body. And of course, there's always an interplay with our thoughts and our mind, some, some of those needs in the rational mind. But I really wanted to draw attention to bodyfulness because I think there's been so much focus on the mind to control our bodies, to control our lives, to control these desires that have been labeled as bad when really they're a very natural part of being being human. I love the term bodyfulness. I, I when I you know saw that it it seemed like a oh a balance to mindfulness because there is this sense. And I don't certainly don't see it necessarily in yoga and other things, but there's a sense in some 
corners of contemporary spirituality that the more spiritual I, the more spiritual I am, the less body focused I become. Mm-hmm. The body is really, I think St. Francis called it brother ass, but the body is something that is a problem. Yeah, a problem to be managed and controlled. Yeah, which comes out of, I think, uh, a certain kind of religious tradition. In this country, I think it's primarily like the Puritans and, and a certain kind of Christianity where that promotes a, a real deep dualism between body and mind or soul and body and that kind of thing. And, and one is celebrated, the soul, and the other is denigrated, the body. But bodyfulness, it seems to me, bodyfulness is, it counteracts that by saying the body comes first, that our sense of mindfulness, if you didn't have there is no free floating mind that you know that is Rachel. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, your consciousness is rooted in your body, and yet people are trying to escape their bodies. When people come to you as a psychologist, sex therapist, is is that one of the things you see a lot of this disconnect between mind and body? Yeah. It's really huge. It is people, I think, find a lot of people can find their body to be this very foreign, uncomfortable place. And certainly for people who have trauma, you know, have any sort of a violation to the body. It, and then we just are encouraged to be thinking and analyzing and problem solving. Even the word mindfulness, as amazing as a practice as it can be, it shows how it really is so focused on our mind. And that's a lot to ask of it. <laughs> and so I think what's so neat is that. There is research now just looking at the wisdom in the body and that the phrase of our issues being in our tissues. So understanding the emotional body, which I don't think we ever really recognized before. But yeah, back to your question, I definitely find a lot of my clients, I guess I have a self-selecting group of people that come to me and they do want to to do the work of really reconnecting with their body, but that doesn't always mean it's so easy. Um, or maybe if they have connected to their body, maybe it was in much more aggressive ways of physical exercise, but when they really have to slow down and even just place their hands on their heart and go to just that deeper energetic level, that is where some of the rawness is that they've done, they've done so much distracting to, to avoid that emotionality and that vulnerability. So it's, you have to move really slow with people when it comes to the body. It's a vulnerable place. Do you think people recognize, and of course, maybe they do, that's why they come to you, but if there's such a thing as the average person, do you think the average person understands the disconnect or they just say, this is just normal? I think it's only once they have a real embodied, a meaningful embodied experience that then the aha happens. And that's where I do think of it again as like a bottom up or body up approach. Prior to that, there can be a lot of just feeling stuck. And then that can often lead people to ruminate more and more in their minds of how to fix it, which is is often not necessarily what will help. They really, if anything, need to get out of their heads, perhaps just regulate through breath, through auditory release, through some shaking, maybe even just movement and connection to nature. That's obviously so powerful. And then that is when there can be kind of a refreshed view in, in the mind. So the irony of writing a book about bodyfulness is that really I, I, it, it's best takes place as even a workshop of where I'm helping people be in that embodied experience because that's the real teacher there. But the book at least can help encourage people to. Yeah, I think the book does that. I think the book 
is an invitation mm-hmm. to go beyond the book. But I think starting with a book makes, makes total sense. I once attended a seminar back in the days when I used to, I was a seminar junkie. And they said, you're only a thought away from happiness. You're just a thought away from happiness. And I remember sitting there thinking, really, how can I, how do I, I can't control my thinking. I don't even know what I'm thinking until I've already thought it. So to say I'm a thought away from happiness is saying you're doomed. I think you, you might want to say you're only a hug away from happiness, or you're only mm. a dance move away from happiness, and you're only a walk around the block away from happiness, that you start with the body and not with the mind. And yeah, I love that you're a hug away from happiness, and especially just given the power of human connection and that kind of soulful, real connection. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I never want anyone to think that I'm like denigrating the power of our mind, but sometimes it's the mind is so powerful to really lead us down into these deep, dark storylines and, and kind of fixations in our ego that can be really hard to pull ourselves out of and we can really be stuck. And, and I also see in therapy how people can have mental insights that are really wonderful aha moments, but then they don't understand why they repeat certain patterns, why there are these reactive patterns that really can be pre-verbal. Certainly are, they're coming from a different place and different language within. And so I do think that we're, while our thoughts can be powerful, they aren't quite enough to lead to some of the change and the spaciousness and some of the rewiring and the release of trauma that that is really what we need. So I really love to just integrate the two and, and have mental health be much more accepting of the ways embodiment can be brought in and make a difference. And there's a lot of different styles out there. And, and that's part of what bodyfulness wants to recognize and honor is that it's, yes, it can be it can look like yoga. It can look like bouncing or shaking and, and sighing and different types of breathing. But all that matters is that you really are getting into that more visceral, primal part of you that wants attention. Okay. You go through the body rather than around or over, over the body to some disembodied space. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. It's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. And for Spirituality and Health podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash spirituality health. You make a a distinction between, and rightfully, right, between sensuality and sexuality. And and I want you to talk about both, but I want to start with, I want to talk to you about sex. And yeah, (laughs) and how sexual pleasure is, as a rabbi doing pastoral counseling in the days when I had synagogues, when I would talk to people about their sex lives, not as a therapist, but just as a pastor, I guess, one of the things that I noticed, desperation attached to it. Either they were desperately seeking some kind of fan- fantasy orgasm or desperately seeking a fantasy partner that was going to provide them with everything that 
they thought their body was missing. That there was this desperation that made it impossible to actually find the pleasure in that in sexual contact. What, what's your sense of that when when people come to you and you are a sex therapist? Yeah. Well, I think that in the United States in particular, there's really been this emphasis on sex as being very, very mechanical and very sort of outcome based and very performative. So really, here's the functionality of it to sort of do this and do that and get to the outcome. And, and if you don't have an outcome of orgasm, you're doing it wrong. Or if you don't have the outcome of conception, then you're doing it wrong. And, and then this performative element, it's almost like we're on the outside looking in other, rather than just from a more experiential, process-oriented place. And really what that means is people are, are pretty stuck in their head and they're pretty self-conscious. And it doesn't sound all that pleasurable. It's, it sounds like a, kind of a, another chore or task or way to criticize and judge oneself or another person. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And so it really takes away from, yeah, this more energetic exchange and the potential for real deep union and vulnerability and, and intimacy that is part of its potential. It's obviously a very powerful, potent thing, and it, it's complicated. But I do think that the way that we either don't talk to our youth at all, we give basically very little sex education. And then what we do give is very fear-based. That also, I think, leads people to crave something while at the same time fearing it. And I want you to talk a little bit more about sex ed in the United States, but I just wanted to share this with you that that I, I was talking to this one guy who told me that sex was like putting together an Ikea chest of drawers. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, thank that, you. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, he wasn't excited about that, but it was just like, there's all these pieces and then you try to put it together and you can't follow the instructions. It doesn't make any sense. And when you think you have it together, you find a piece is missing and the whole thing just falls apart. So uh, uh, you know, that everyone's disappointed. Yeah. I mean that I don't buy things that I have to put together myself. So I don't have that experience with Ikea, but I understood what he was saying. And again, it's a way the culture makes I'm going to say it makes pleasure taboo. 
sex is not taboo. It's everywhere. But the pleasure, because I know it seems to me when you watch whatever sex they can put on cable TV in, in a regular show, that there's, there, you don't see pleasure, passion, you see whatever you see, but you don't see the kind of polymorphous perversity, this full-bodied sensuality, and you don't see pleasure. You just see, it's almost just like physics. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's sort of like there's, you know, they have the car chase and then they want to have the erotic version of the car chase. It's like right. quick and dirty and fast. And, but really when people slow down and that's really, yeah, I think where the pleasure lies. And I think what's hard is that we do have a culture that doesn't know how in the U.S. to really slow down. And we're so, we're addicted to our busyness and the next thing and the next thing. And so that's where a lot of what I also talk about in the book of here are some other ways that you can really invite pleasure practices into your life that are about not being self-conscious, that aren't about the outcome, that are about you know, more playfulness and really tasting your food and really feeling the nature outside your window. And because when we practice slowing down in these other areas of our life, that's what can allow for it to be lead to much more satisfying experiences. So it's like the foreplay in a way, but also just important for everyday life. Yeah, it's like when they say in spirituality, the journey is the point, right? It's it's not the destination. Mm, absolutely, yeah. So I want to go back to what I read very earlier because the, in your book you wrote, because pleasure is our birthright, it keeps us resilient and fosters empathy. So my understanding of pleasure is our birthright is that we are built for pleasure and the fact that it does keep us resilient physically, mentally, emotionally, I would say spiritually, and it fosters empathy. When we teach kids in school, sex education, if to, what, to whatever extent there, it exists in, in your various, in the listener, in the schools where listeners maybe have their kids or grandkids, are they being taught about pleasure? Or are they just being, like you said earlier, they're just being scared to death about getting pregnant? They are either not getting much information at all, or they're getting getting a little bit, but too late, and or it's it is really fear based, or it's not even always that factual. But no, they're not getting taught about pleasure, and I think that's part of why there there is now a little bit more of this renaissance of people talking about what's called pleasure reclamation, and especially when we think about females, it's particularly tricky, and in this whole. Just uh, it's confusing. You know, girls are supposed to and women are supposed to look sexy, but not want sex. It's so the, there's just so many contradictions and confusion. And for females, there's been messages that you're a slut if you do want to, if you do desire and crave the pleasures of sex. It's it's been become gendered and it's tricky there. And I think that's where there are practitioners like me trying to really help heal the wounds that people have, because perhaps wounds that they thought that they were going to go blind if they masturbated, that that old one. So it's really sad, the shame and the guilt and the confusion that we're leaving kids with and adolescents with. And I always say that everybody I know has a body and everybody came from a sexual being. And yet everyone I know has a story of shame, guilt, or confusion around one or both of those things. Yeah. We're talking just a week after the leak of the Supreme Court draft on you know, uh, Alito's draft on Roe versus Wade. Mm -hmm. And who knows what the final verdict on that will be, but let's go with the what people are concerned with, that it'll be overturned. And then 
maybe that's going to be a slippery slope taking us back to getting rid of contraception and removing this is my you know two cents of, of sociology when we got the pill we meaning <laughs> american when the pill was introduced and women could could take the pill and and make a distinction between uh, sex for sex sake and sex for procreation i think there are a lot of people who felt that was the beginning of the end of american morality and that the only reason to have sex is to make babies and if that isn't in your if you're not going to agree to that then we're going to scare you and make it very dangerous so that if you do have sex you might have a baby and there's nothing you're going to do about that because we're going to make it all illegal it's your punishment for not following our moral code and oddly it's a moral code that they trace back like you know say this is biblical values it's not at all biblical values i mean first of all the bible allows for uh, female contraception and they used a sponge in biblical times and the bible is a very the sex in the bible is rampant and the song of songs is this wonderful erotic love poem between two unmarried people that mm-hmm. the rabbis took and said oh no it's about god and israel and the christians took and said oh no it's about god and the church but oh no it's about in it in the context the heterosexual context of the time and the book it's about a, a man and a woman enjoying one another for the sake of enjoying one another there's no marriage there's no kids there's nothing like that involved <clears throat> when they claim it's biblical it's it's not biblical mm-hmm. it's a projection of their own and I'll let you fill in the blank whatever you think that is their own fear of sex their own fear of sexuality their own I don't know what what you want to put in that spot but their own fear of x that they then project back into the bible and then try to to project onto society through legal means mm-hmm. so what are you and maybe it's too early to tell but what are you hearing with clients and just in general among other therapists in your field what are you hearing about what this could do I have I'm just so weary and tired of the topic that I haven't Sorry. had a lot of conversations <laughs> because it's so discouraging. I I keep thinking really we're still coming back to this. Um and and what you were saying about the pill, you, the fact of the matter is that the number one reason that people do have sex is because of pleasure. It's not because of procreation. It's actually that 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 is the fact of the matter. And but also there is a lot of potency in erotic energy. And whenever there's something that's really powerful, there's people who, who want to either seize that power or contain and manage that power. And I think that's also part of why there is such a gender difference in sex positivity towards males and females is that sort of the power of the erotic for women and women as creators and that sort of divine feminine energy that's discussed and as and Mother Earth and creation is was something that really was feared. And then the patriarchy decided to really contain that and is still trying to do so to this day. But I, I think that people are fighting on all sort, for all sorts of things right now, including that it's just too bad that we have to really take away from people choices of what they can do with their body, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that is really a shame. In in the Jewish mystical tradition, there's a, I don't know what you want to call it, a story, a, a legend, a 
teaching that the universe is sustained by the sexual intercourse between the masculine and the feminine dimensions of deity. Mm. And that it's the orgasm that they achieve that actually powers the cosmos. So even God is having sex for the pleasure. Yeah. And from the pleasure comes, comes you know, the universe. Oh, God. You have this chapter entitled Boys Will Be Boys. And you talk about the toxic culture that leaves men few options when it comes to pleasure and maybe even sexuality. Talk a little bit about, because it's, again, that people talk about toxic masculinity and, and all of that. What is that and what can be done to, to help boys outgrow this, this toxicity? Yeah, I think that, and particularly now, there's this real emphasis on just a hookup culture and that can, some people are also calling rape culture, in which it is really about conquering the the other the partner or the girl and even the language being used when boys talk about hooking up it's it's about i i banged her smashed her are you going to smash that it's their construction workers and there's just this emphasis on really treating the the woman as an object sheer objectification and what's unfortunate is that in general females tend to be raised in ways that um, they're disconnected from their bodies and males are raised in ways that they're taught to be disconnected from their emotions. And then, you know, we wonder why then these heterosexual relationships can have such problems that they do. And and the boys lose out too. They are taught that the only acceptable emotion that they can have is anger, anger and a sport event, but uh, really these other emotions of tenderness and empathy that really are part of who, what they have as, as humans really get buried or shamed or made fun of. And so they grow up really bearing that pretty deeply. And it really prevents a lot of deeper, you know, intimate relationships. I was listening to uh, a newscast on the Ukrainian war and they were talking about, and they have recordings of Russian soldiers in Ukraine calling home to their wives or their girlfriends and asking for permission to rape Ukrainian girls and women and getting it. That they're, the, the, the women they're calling in Russia don't see the women in Ukraine as human. And so it's just, yeah, you can rape them. It, it won't impact our relationship at all. There's something deeply sick about humanity <laughs> that you need to fix right now. Oh, yeah. As, as a therapist, what... and. and I'm going I'm to give you the last word because we're running out of time. But what is wrong with the human being that we can otherize people to that, to, to that extent? Oh, wow. I mean, where, gosh, where to begin? I think, you know, this, this need for power and power over means there's power under, underneath. And I think this objectification of not seeing people as people really is something we're, we're facing now, too. And we think of all the masks and limited social interactions and the online bullying. Yeah, I think when people are hurting, hurt people hurt people. And trauma that's unresolved is trauma transferred. And so there's this way of I have power over this other person and objectify and, and use my sexual power this temporary ego boost, but it, of course, certainly doesn't go to the core wound of that, of that person's humanness and their soul. That wound must, I'm not blaming it on Russians. I don't think this is unique to Russians. There's something, and I don't, 
and given these phone calls, it's not even limited to just men, that there seems to be something broken. Christians would say, well, you know, human beings are fallen. And, and maybe that's, maybe they're right in that, that there seems to be something broken at the very core of human beings that keep us from being humane beings. And I'm just wondering if that, if you see that in people who come to see you, or if you have a general sense about humanity in general. Humans are, I think, and you know, innately caring and have empathy. But when there has been real colonialism and tribalism, there are these ways in which people cut off a part of themselves, that part of that humanist that, that has empathy and sees another person as a fellow human. And the fact that we're capable of doing that is yeah, really an, an unfortunate part in this drive to sort of get ahead. And that's where a spiritual path can really help people to see more of the collective. Some of the research that I did or the research that at least I read and, and looked into and quoted in the book just shows how powerful embodied pleasurable activities with other people are because it leads people to really have more empathy and altruism and compassion for others. So whether it be like a music concert or a group outdoor yoga class or spin class, but these really collective embodied events lead people to really see the humanness in others and, and have a lot more compassion for people, especially people who are different from them. Unless so, it's a European football match and where they go nuts and start attacking one another. Yeah. But I get what you're saying. I, I just want to put one last thing out and see what you say, and we're going to have to wrap this up. I read, as I read The Pleasure is All Yours, the title of your new book, I was thinking that maybe what's broken is this lack of pleasure, this lack of appreciation for or uh, lack of experience with the kind of pleasure you're talking about as opposed to the pornographic or the erotic this different kind of pleasure that people who, if people were, I don't think there's a word for it. I was going to say impleasured. That's not a real <laughs> thing. But if they had the bodyfulness that you're talking about, they couldn't do the things that we see them doing, them meaning us. We couldn't do the things that we see ourselves doing all the time. Absolutely. Because I do think that part of bodyfulness is really getting out of that ego mind of that separateness, that divisiveness, that need to be right. It gets us out of those storylines. And the more that we are really connected to just the kind of the tenderness and the emotional body, the more we're connected to our soul and that connection to the collective and, and connection to others, whether it be other people or really the planet. And I don't want to blame everything on being stuck in like our, in our ego mind, but I do think that it can be a really harmful place and really create this division that doesn't need to be there. And so I absolutely do think that bodyfulness can be a really powerful path into our emotions, our empathy, kind of what our, our soul wants. And our soul wants connection. It wants connection and community. That is really the single most important factor in our well-being. So thank you for, for pointing me in that direction to, as an answer to the question. Uh, well, it was, a, it was a great answer and a, and a great place for us to end. Our guest today, Dr. Rachel Allen, is the author of The Pleasure Is All Yours, Reclaim Your Body's Bliss and Reignite Your Passion for Life. You can learn more about her work at drrachelallen.com and read her essays at spiritualityandhealth.com.
You've been listening to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at SpiritHealthMag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. It's important to show up for yourself through all of the struggles that life can bring. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. And for spirituality and health podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash spirituality health. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify.